Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your faithfulness, for the truth of who you are, for your gentle presence upon us right now. And I ask, Lord, as I share these words, that you will surround each one of us with a very wonderfully new touch of your presence, of your Holy Spirit, Lord, in us and around us. Anoint the words that I share, Lord God, so that our hearts will sing in a new song, sing a new song to you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I've been instructed by the Right Honourable Robert Burns <laughs> that we must say hello to the Zoomers. Oh, so, yeah. so we've got to go. One, two, three. Hello, Zoomers. <laughs> now, I trust that you will be richly blessed by what I'm about to share with you this morning. And that the Lord really <coughs> graciously gives each of us something new and something wonderful at understanding who he is. And in our knowledge of the wonders and the glories of the God we worship. Some while ago, I had an extraordinary dream. And it was really quite unusual because it was in colour. <laughs> I think that's probably the first time I'd ever had a colour dream. <clears throat> and now several months later, I'm still pondering what it actually means. Now, in that dream... I was standing in front of a very large building and from the horizon there were two rainbows just rising up through the sky like two aircraft in complete unison, just right up here. And as they got overhead, I looked up at the canopy of the sky and it was filled with the most glorious bouquets of flowers. <laughs> Wow. The whole canopy, wow. these vast bouquets of flowers. Mm -hmm. And the last scene, I was inside the building saying, come and look at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been asking the Lord what on earth it means. Because I know it was from him. I mean, you know when you have a dream that God's talking to you. And you know other times it's just, oh, okay, so your brain was doing silly games overnight. But you know when the Lord gives you a dream. And my mind's been pondering all of the implications of rainbows. We know about God's blessing and we know about his faithfulness with rainbows. <coughs> and all about bouquets of flowers. Now, there's a huge amount of imagery in both rainbows and flowers and their bouquets. And I found myself at this time, focusing on the bouquets. Another time, I'll talk about the rainbows. <laughs> but mostly, I think, when we think about what flowers represent and what bouquets represent, why we give them to people and what it means to them and what it means to us when we do exchange bouquets of flowers. And mostly, it's not even so much about the bouquet itself but rather about the beauty that they and the rainbows represent and what they reveal to us of the nature of the Lord. Now, each one of us has some kind of a notion of what is beautiful and what's not beautiful. And it might be the physical beauty of a person 
it might be the beauty of someone's life, more abstract rather than physical. It might be the glories of nature, all its richness and variety. Now, we're also all very aware of the adage that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So what I see is beautiful, you might not, and vice versa. And all of that is true. But as I thought about it, I, I believe there is a basic standard of beauty that originates from the Lord, from the Lord himself. And that's why we instinctively, I believe, respond positively to things that are beautiful and instinctively draw back from things that are ugly. And I believe that's because the Lord is in us. And he is the basic standard, if you will. He's the basic standard of beauty. Now, as I've pondered all this too, I've thought about how we react to natural beauty around us, how we actually re respond to it, how we react to it. And without going into a lot of detail, we all know what it's like when we encounter a person we consider to be very beautiful. Or we realize the beauty of a person's character or their lifestyle and we get to know them better. And we've all had the pleasure of seeing a garden bursting out with glorious trees and flowers and the variety of multiple colors and perfumes. Flowers give us colorful beauty. They give us delightful fragrance. They speak gentleness and they speak tender love. They speak joy and delight. Maybe the beauty of a piece of music stirs you deeply. I don't know about you, but I've got some, some CDs and when they're, they're orchestral pieces and I just can't keep still. I've got to keep moving and I'm bopping and I'm laughing and I'm clapping away and making a fool of myself. So don't ever drive with me with classical music in the car. <laughs> it can be dangerous. <laughs> Whatever the occasion, things change somehow when we encounter beauty. Our spirit is moved, and we can often be flooded with joy and excitement and even anticipation. Now, is it any different with the Lord? Or should it be any different when we encounter the Lord? When we meet with him, when we experience his blessings. So, without laboring point any further, there are three ideas that have come to me from that dream. Oh, better turn it on. Oh, it's not working. See, why is this not doing its thing? Anyway, the first one is that the Lord wants us to know how beautiful he is. The first thing, the Lord wants us to know how beautiful, how glorious. Yes, thank you, Fee. How glorious he is. And the second thing I believe it's saying is that he's, he's speaking about the fact that our loving father wants to give us beautiful gifts. To say, I'm thinking about you, you're special to me, I want to bless you. And the third thing, he not only gives us beautiful, sweetly perfumed delights, but he actually makes us a sweet-smelling bouquet to the world. <laughs> 
Yeah, we are the sweet smelling savour to the world. Just think about that. And that's all pretty powerful stuff. And we'll that's, find out when we're gone. Won't we just? <laughs> and it's not really something that you can skim over all that lightly, but um, <clears throat> I'll try to anyway to capture something of what the Lord has shared with me on this. Now, in this first message, all I'm going to do is talk about um, the beauty of the Lord himself. There's just too much. And next week, I'll go into the other two. So let's start with the beauty of the Lord himself. How beautiful, how glorious he is. The wonder and the loveliness of the Lord's presence and his person. Now, if I'm honest, I have to admit that that's actually quite a difficult idea for me to get in clearly in my heart and mind. Because my idea of beauty is more tied to the physical, the worldly stuff. But to be able to transfer that into the understanding of who the Lord is and how beautiful his presence is, it's not all that simple. Now, as you and I worship, we may well be praying and singing about his holiness, his majesty, his power, his passionate, all-consuming love. But do we actually think about his loveliness, about the gentle beauty of his love? Yes, our God is almighty. He is all-powerful. And he dwells in glorious splendor, holiness, and majesty. And he is also gentle, tender, and merciful. Think of the images of Jesus with little children. And he is lovely and beautiful. And on the screen just before we, um, before Wendy shared communion was that chorus, Jesus, what a beautiful name. Son of God, Son of Man. And we sing, you are beautiful beyond description. Two marvellous for words. Now, as Wendy was sharing, what's going on in my heart when I sing that? Is it just words? And I have to ask myself, how is my Lord beautiful? What's happening in my spirit as I sing those words? As I praise him as beautiful, lovely, without comparison. Now, I can declare that God is beautiful, and I can believe that he is beautiful. Guess what? Because the Bible says so. And there's some wonderful passages in the Psalms. Listen to the longing and the worship in David's heart. 27 verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. Psalm 29, verse 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 90, verse 17, and let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. Amen. Yes, Lord. And David is recorded in 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 23. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now listen to this. This is Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, to me, that is a lover rejoicing over his beloved. The 18th century preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards is one of the few people who've actually written terribly much about the beauty of God. It's not a topic that you'll find a lot written about. He said this, for as God is infinitely the greatest being, so he is allowed to be infinitely the most beautiful and excellent. <laughs> and all the beauty to be found throughout the entire creation is but the reflection of the diffused beam of that being who has an infinite fullness of brightness and glory. God is the foundation and fountain of all being and all beauty. Now that says it all. All the beauty to be found throughout the entire creation, whether we can see it or sense it or whatever, all of it is in reality the reflection of the glory and the splendor and the beauty that flows out of creator God. Everything that's beautiful is a reflection of the beauty of God. Everything human beings see as beautiful in creation, in nature, in people, situations, relationships, whatever it is, everything beautiful is a reflection of God's beauty. We could go on and on and on and on. But I do want to share with you three ways in which Jonathan Edwards saw God's beauty. He saw it, first of all, as love within the Trinity, love within the Trinity. He saw it in creation's majesty, and he saw it in Jesus. Now, I want to just take a few moments to look at each of those three. And a friend said to me recently that if we wanted to get some understanding of the Holy Spirit, we'd need to attend a very long and intensive course, and even then we wouldn't know terribly much <laughs> because it's such a deep mystery, a really deep and wonderful mystery. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three. And the Gospels record Jesus telling the people, again, reminding them of Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The unity of the Trinity. Now, I don't pretend to understand that mystery. But let me just say this. We are created in the image of the triune God. We're not created, <coughs> we're not created just in, in the image of part of him. We're created in the image of the triune God. The deepest joys that we as human beings experience, I believe, are relational. Marriage, family, friendships, 
community. We consider these to be essentially good things that bring significant meaning and beauty to life. There are places and situations where we are free to express self-giving agape love in our marriages, in our friendships, in our communities. We are drawn to these aspects of life, which are in effect reflections of God's own beauty, because our enjoyment of beauty is also a reflection of God's own delight within himself. Let me just say that last sentence again. We are drawn to those relational aspects of life which are reflections of God's own beauty because our enjoyment of beauty is also a reflection of God's own delight within himself. Each member of the Trinity delights in the other, gives selflessly to the other. It's deep, deep mystery. It's deep, deep mystery. God's beauty is also displayed in the radiance of his absolute perfection. God is perfect. He doesn't rise to levels of perfection. He is perfection. The psalmist declares in Psalm 50 verse 2 from Zion, Perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Perfect in beauty, perfection, beauty, completeness, wonder, radiance. Do these, do these ideas challenge your understanding of who God is? Because they challenge mine. My eyes are being opened to a whole new perspective of the Lord. Not only who he is, but who I am because of him. And then when we talk about God being perfect, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 5, 48, you'd better be perfect too. Didn't quite say it like that. But <laughs> be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. God is perfect. He has eternally existed. Every attitude of our Lord and God, his love, his joy, his goodness, his patience, are all absolutely complete. Nothing missing. He cannot do anything more. I'm sorry, he cannot be anything more than he already is. And he'll never be anything less than he is. And that, my friends, is a fantastic comfort. You know, we talk about God being unchanging. Well, he is. He can't change. God's faithfulness surrounds us. God is absolute perfection, perfect power, perfect love, perfect justice, perfect faithfulness. Now, this is what one theologian wrote. And I like this one because it's got bouquet in it. <laughs> God's, God's beauty is the bouquet of his perfections in his person. Unveiled in his purposes and displayed in his glory. 
there it is, a bouquet of perfections. With all our human understanding of what a bouquet is, the attractively arranged flowers or the satisfying smell or whatever, whatever, beauty in its multiple forms and in our God, its beauty is in his purposes and in his glory. So that means that his plans for your life are part of his beauty. The plans for your life and the plans for my life are expressions of the beauty and the perfection of our God. Oh, Whew. told you this was heavy stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Now, this leads me into the second expression of God's beauty that he talked about, the beauty of creation. Now, remember what Paul wrote in Romans 1. In verse 19 and 20, verse 19 and 20, he said, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, obviously, the context of that is that people are saying there's no God and they're doing what they like and being naughty. But it's also saying to us that the creation of the world is God's way of saying, this is me. Look at my beauty. And you know that I like going on to Google to find pretty pictures, so I've got a lot of pictures to show you for this one. <laughs> The stunning beauty, when you think about it, the stunning beauty of the immeasurable universe, the vastness of the universe. And then go down to the tiniest, tiniest nanoparticles and everything in between. I don't know about you, but it's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's just totally mind-blowing. And as I said, I couldn't resist showing you some pictures. Okay. So, first of all, we can look at the Earth's rivers and its lakes and its mountains. And we can look at the immense power and the vastness of the ocean. Seemingly endless species and subspecies of animals. <laughs> Insects, plants, whoops, got the wrong one. Insects and plants. And their colours and their fragrances and their varieties, and I could go on and on. They're not black and white, are they? No, they're not. No, they're not. If they are black and white, they're really quite unusual. Yes. Now, Psalm 104, verse 24 and 25 says, Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. Every single aspect of the created world, everything that holds it together, everything that makes it work, things like time and the seasons and the cycle of life, all of the stunningly create all stunning, creating awe and wonder as we think about them. 
And each one is beautiful to the Lord, even when we don't think so. <laughs> he needs a dentist. He just needs a dentist, doesn't he? And there's going to be, ah, oh, you see these in the garden. Now, a baby aardvark, they're one of the ugliest creatures on the earth, I think. <laughs> the anteaters has got no scrap of hair on him anywhere. And Ecclesiastes 3.11 says to us, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Even that, some deep, deep sea creatures, and that, and the next ones make me giggle. <laughs> every time every time I look at that one I just burst out giggling I can't tell that was, but they're deep 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 ocean creatures and God loves them he made them he thinks they're beautiful <laughs> amazingly these are all expressions of our amazing creator Colossians 1.17 he is before all things and in him all things hold together so let's think about us, you and me, human beings. How can the human creature not be beautiful? We are made in the image of our beautiful God. We are the reflection of him, of his beauty. If we tried to talk about the beauty and the intricacy, the, the biology of the human creature, it would take forever. And even just all of the soul part of our thinking and our intellect and our emotions, the complexity, stunning. Let me just say this. This is a little process of logic. God is beautiful. God created man in his image. Therefore, mankind is beautiful. Yes. Now, we all know Psalm 19. Psalm 19, where King David proclaims the glory and the beauty of creation, its incredible design. Now, C.S. Lewis said this about Psalm 19. He said, it is the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Now, if you're not really familiar with Psalm 19, read it when you get home. It's beautiful. David looked up at the heavens not the spiritual heaven where God is enthroned, but at the heavens of the blue sky and the stars at night. And he clearly saw the glory of God declared up there in the sky. In the blue sky, with the glory of the sun and the clouds and the beauty of sunrises and sunsets. Now, I was out at one of the beaches, um, French Bay, the other day, and just looking up at the sky, and across the whole horizon, there, were the, there was almost a line drawn across and little squirrels, clouds were all just little squirrels. This beautiful. Interesting things happening in the sky. Yes. Interesting things happening in the sky, yes. In the night sky with the brightness of the moon and the awe of the canopy of, sky, of stars and the cloudy spread of the distant galaxies, all of these. Their size, their awe, their grandeur, they all shouted to David. And all who would see them, the God who created all this is glorious. Amen. 
And this is the evidence of his glory. He was declaring that creator God is truly glorious, having created something so immense, something that works so well together, something so beautiful. And to add to all of that, the glory of God in his goodness and kindness, having created something for us to actually enjoy. He made it for us. Now, verse 7 to 11 of Psalm 19, sing the praises of the inspired word of God. This, This is what Matthew Henry wrote. The Holy Scripture is of much greater benefit to us than day or night, than the air we breathe or the light of the sun. To recover man out of his fallen state, there is need of the word of God. The whole is perfect. It is a sure foundation of living comforts and a sure foundation of lasting hopes. This praise of the law of the Lord leads directly to the most beautiful expression of God's beauty, which in fact is Jesus. It's a third thing that um, Jonathan Edwards mentioned. And of course, we're familiar with John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The word, the law of the Lord, the son of God, who himself declared, don't think I've come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. Now, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the gospel that displays the glory of God, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God said, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. There it is. In his human body, Jesus was not a man of physical beauty or handsomeness. Isaiah 53 tells us that quite clearly. He, was, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. We all know how easy it is to make judgments on external appearances. We do it all the time. Well, I do anyway. Now, remember when Samuel went to Jesse's house to anoint the king that was going to follow Saul. And Samuel expected it to be one of these lovely, handsome beasts that were standing up, lining up. But in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, the Lord said, don't look on the appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man sees the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So by human standards, Jesus did not look like a Messiah. He just didn't look like a Messiah at all. And one commentator wrote this. Jesus' beauty had nothing to do with his physical appearance. 
His was the arresting beauty of truth, purity, servanthood, passion, power, mercy, and love. Whew. Truth, purity, servanthood, passion, power, mercy, and love. He is beautiful as the perfect image of God. Jesus displayed all that is glorious in God within his humanness. So reflecting the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God, we are told three times in the New Testament. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, mankind is made in the image of God. Christ is the image of God. We resemble God's nature. Christ shares it. Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. He himself said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus doesn't show us what God is like by being similar to him. He shows us what God is like by being the same as him. He became flesh and blood and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Jesus' glory shone through a normal human body to display his glorious divine nature. This beauty is what has captivated and continues to captivate people from all cultures around the world. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, people from all backgrounds experience his compassion, his self-sacrifice, his giving, his love, and his kindness. Now, I bet if we went through this whole congregation and asked everybody about your background, I bet they're all different. <laughs> Hmm. I mean, different different um, circumstances that your family were in, different parts of the country, different environments around, different circumstances of your schooling and your relationships within your family, all different. But we've all experienced the beauty of Jesus. And so we come together. Now, it's not clever intellectual reasoning, but it's the wonder and the power of God's glory and love. The disciples wrote, now this is from Peter, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We could call on millions of testimonies, like that of John Newton, who was awakened, as it, as it were, by the wonder at the beauty of God. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Once we are spiritually awakened, we understand the beauty of Christ, and wonder grips our soul. Our wonder at his beauty leads to worshipping his glory. It's the restoration to what we were made for. Wonder and worship of the living Christ. Mankind needs the light of understanding to see the beauty that we long for. 
when God through Holy Spirit shines this light into the darkness of human despair, something is perceived with the eyes of the heart. And that something is the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned before, he is the image of the invisible God, Paul wrote to Colossians. And the writer of Hebrews said he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is satisfyingly beautiful and our desires reveal how much we need and long for him. So in summary, our God is beautiful. He is wrapped in the loveliness of his presence. That glory and loveliness is expressed in the splendor of the Trinity. It's expressed in every element and aspect of creation, which reflects the glory and the beauty of creator God. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is himself the express image of God, displaying the power and the glory of his beauty in his person. Let's pray. Lord, that chorus comes to mind. Father God, I give all thanks to thee. Father God, my hands I humbly raise to thee. For your power and love amazes me, and I stand in awe and worship, Father God. Lord, thank you for the glory and the beauty of your presence. Thank you for the glory, the power, and the beauty of your desire towards us that you put within our hearts to love you, to worship you, to honour you. Lord, we simply say thank you. Thank you, gracious God. You are beautiful. You are beautiful, Lord God. We thank you for your beauty. We thank you for the love. Lord, that you extend to us so generous. And Lord, as an expression of our worship and our acknowledgement of your beauty, Lord, we will sing. <clears throat> you are beautiful beyond description. Feel free to sit or to stand or whichever way you feel comfortable. But let's just tell the Lord that we love him that we acknowledge that he is beautiful, that he's everything we could ever want or need. <clears throat>